0: everybody, welcome to the Silver 7th season of the Third Line Plug, SANScast. I am your host, Tiller Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical Metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, man?
1: Crazy that we're back, and it's crazy that it's Season 7, and I think it's been a really long time that we've got to open up a season of Third Line plugs with two wins.
0: I was going to say, didn't we start Season 6 with two wins?
1: We did. Did we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did.
0: Yeah, I was trying to. Yeah, that's a long time uh... ago. Yeah, I know. It's almost like it was a year ago.
1: Yeah, great. Crazy.
0: Right? Short term memory there, there, buddy.
1: Woo. Woo.
0: So, Tim, very excited to kick off our silver seventh season with our listeners. And of course, we've got to talk about our cover athlete for today's episode season seven, episode one, a chronological order, episode. 151, the Artem edition of the third line plug, sense cast. So just a little background about Artem Nizioff. He was drafted 54th overall by the New York Rangers in 2006. He played 13 seasons in the NHL with four teams, the New York Rangers, Columbus Blue Jackets, Chicago Blackhawks, and the Ottawa Senators, where he spent two seasons with the Senators, recording 17 goals, 12 assists, or 29 points, in 68 games as a Senator.
1: I have to admit, the only thing I remember about Artie Party is a game where almost three, two goalies went down forcing Artem Anisimov into the position of emergency backup. Because it turned out that he had played a bit of goalie in minor hockey because, as we all know, Joey Decord went down, Gustafson stepped in, and his hand started to bleed.
0: My god, that's a memory right
1: there. And Artie Party is dressed up in the pads, and I was like, you know what, this season's just a big enough gog show. I kind of want to see what every stat model will have to recalibrate now that a forward has played as a goalie.
0: Okay, here's a good question. Outside of, of Artem and Nizioff, who on the stat-sense team could you see play goal? Who
1: on, like on that particular team or out of any senator? No, just the teams that he played on. Of Artem and Sens teams... Who else could play goal? Like, Well, I mean, probably like Tim Stutzla. Like he has the athleticism.
0: Yeah, but do you want Timmy Stutzla? No.
1: No, I don't want... I'd rather our forwards be great forwards, right?
0: What if it was Gabranson?
1: (laughs) Or Mikhail Bodker?
0: Yeah, that could be a good one.
1: Remember him existing? Yep. DJ Smith sure didn't. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that was weird like Miguel Biker is one of those guys he's the definition of he just needs to go to a new team to be good
1: but the it was he did have success in the desert but every time he kind of left it just kind of fell fell away and it was just like oh yeah he's here and what what do we end up doing with him I just really don't remember
0: didn't, I think Barker left as a free agent, didn't he?
1: Yeah. Like, I I just... One of those guys it's like, yeah, he existed. I forgot he existed. And it was just like, COVID happened and all of a sudden he was gone. Like, just weird.
0: It was, And weird. that was like his
1: last year in the NHL too, if I remember correctly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, if memory serves me correctly. I might be wrong on that. But I believe that Ottawa was his last stop. It seems like the Senators of the last several years seems to be like the last place that everybody plays in before they leave for good or worse.
1: Who do you think is going to be that in the next coming years? San Jose?
0: Good question.
1: Or if here's a wild card guess, if Washington or Pittsburgh can't keep the momentum going and while Washington and Pittsburgh both missed last year, if they miss again, do you think they just become an NHL retirement home?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, I'm gonna say Pittsburgh, no, because Kyle Dubas doesn't seem to go after those kind of players. He, he unless he played for the Sioux Greyhounds or the Sens. True. Yeah. Oh, maybe Washington. Yeah, Washington's a good pick. Cool,
1: Although right? it seems like the coaching change in Washington at least might fit their culture better. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see if they uh, produce results because apparently nobody liked Peter Laviolette.
0: Yeah, which really surprises me, right? Because he seemed like a coach who had so much success that you would think some players would have ended up liking him. Guess not. Okay, I've got a wild card for you. What about Nashville?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Who knows what Barry Trotz will do, right? Mm-hmm. Like hmm Like, buying out Johansson and picking up Ryan O'Reilly, that's a mood right there.
0: Yeah, that's a move, man
1: like fam what are you doing
0: i'm just trying to think who else would be on that list mm, definitely not Chi- minnesota they can't afford it
1: chicago did that a bit but they're they seem like they could be on the upswing in a couple of years
0: yeah mm-hmm. definitely not philly philly's rebuilding
1: well philly could be like that remember ottawa was going through its rebuild when we had like bodker zaitsev, and zaitsev pardon
0: what about anaheim
1: Ooh, anaheim doesn't seem to want to have good players on their team so that could mm-hmm. be them oh so i've just been on like the nhl website taking a quick peek at the standings and i noticed so quick complaint the new nhl website have you noticed that it and the app are completely useless
0: can honestly say haven't been on either one.
1: So many features missing. So, like, on the old one, you could, like, mouse over the team. It would give you, like, last five or something like that. And you could click on it to go to a page that had more detail about the team. I think they're actually just loading a picture for the tables. Really? Yeah, like, it's stupid. Or it's, like, some sort of interactive JavaScript object. But there's, like, no linking or anything. Like, it's just and the like the NHL app is just undercooked like half of the folk half of the features are just straight missing
0: okay so here's my comparison so you're saying that the NHL website is going to be like the EA NHL games where over the years they take away features and stuff like this only to bring them back and they try to introduce them as being
1: new yeah and then they don't work
0: yeah it's yeah, kind of like-, like in the last couple of EA games where they talked about with the ultimate team cards. They're like, oh man, this is going to be such a brand new innovative thing. And I'm sitting here like
1: NHL 2003 had this. Actually, the one that is really annoying is like the NHL website had a real, they had that really good game tied feature. That was basically the shot pressure chart from hockey viz. Yeah. As in, it was actually made by Mika that's gone. It'll probably be, it's apparently going to be re-implemented, but it's just like, why did you launch something so feature poor when you didn't have to?
0: Again, we're just simply explaining the EA NHL games.
1: I guess, but it's like... The internet user in me, every time... This happens so many times, like it often... I've heard some people say that the UX team is trying to uh, justify their existence. So they do a rebrand every couple years and the re- each rebrand is successfully shittier than the previous one. Right, And it's like, at some point you have to either be like, nah, guys chill or lay a few of them off. Cause like can't, every website can't just get worse and worse every two years. At least YouTube, I can understand they're trying to sell me shit, so they intentionally make the free product worse so that I might buy YouTube Premium. And when in reality, I'll just stop watching YouTube.
0: And this is when Elon Musk buys Twitter and be like, "Hold my beer, fam."
1: Yeah, like, man, I might just go outside. Ooh, deep threats. I know.
0: Statement right there, buddy. Okay, so I've got two teams on the potential retirement franchises. I've got the New York Islanders <laughs> because Lou Lamorello goes after those old people. Now I'm going to say maybe this is no, actually, you know what? I'm not going to include LA. LA seems to kind of have their idea of what they want now. Yeah. I think we've chosen is pretty good though.
1: Mm-hmm. Here's the other wild thing though. Josh Bailey was too old for the Islanders.
0: I know, and he wasn't good enough to play on the
1: Sens. To be fair, the Sens are pretty good.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Tim, once we get to the games later on this episode, we can absolutely agree with that. Now, before we do that, though, we got to announce next week's cover athlete for next week's episode, season seven, episode two, and chronological Your Order, episode 152. It's going to be the Chris Bela edition of the Third Line Public Assets cast. Who? Do you remember him? Neither do we.
1: That's, that's a name.
0: Honestly, I'm at the point here for the next couple of episodes. (coughs) Excuse me. Where I don't even think we're gonna be doing like a poll.
1: And we'll every time a name comes up, we'll just be like, that was a guy.
0: Yeah. You know what's funny? We're getting back into these episodes that we already did like a hundred episodes ago.
1: Oh, where it's like I saw that guy on the EA Sports cover. Yeah, or there are literally no players we could choose, so uh, let's come up with something fun.
0: Yes, or we just talk about the game that they played on, like NHL 07. That was a good game. It was a good game. Now you had a, now, well, I you
1: it. I prefer two K seven. Yeah, yeah, I had two K seven on the three sixty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what about NHL 07? Because I, I was not the first one that had the
1: the, the skill-, skill. It was one of the first ones with the skill stick, and it was still pretty awkward. Because I think it was 08 or 09 that really got the skill stick right.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I'm trying to think. I think it might have been 09. But then again, it seems like we did an episode years and years ago about our favorite EA games. We did. And we mentioned 10 and 12.
1: I think we did our favorite hockey games, period. Yeah. And like, we somehow had different NES games.
0: That was perfect, though. Yeah. yeah. But you know what we actually came to realize though? That you and I were both in the same boat for NHL 2000 on the Game Boy Color.
1: Oh, that thing is awful.
0: It was so bad.
1: Oh, then we dug up EK Hockey Boo. That was wild. (laughs) Like, of all the things, a Japan-exclusive hockey game was not what I was expecting to exist.
0: Well, what was the one that the Angry Video Game Nerd did? What was it? Ninja baseball batman or whatever the hell it was something
1: stupid like that but they at least like baseball in japan oh, outside yeah, of hokkaido it's... nobody knows what hockey is
0: i know even if we send over our superstars like jamie McLennan,
1: yeah we could be talking about uh, old third line plug episodes all day but uh how was your week
0: you know what my week hasn't been too bad honestly just been working been doing a lot of stuff now Usually for our season openers, Tim, I would always crack a cold one. I bring in tradition. Like, this is weird that I don't have uh, an alcoholic beverage in front of me, mostly because I am kind of actually under the weather right now.
1: Hopefully you get a bit better, eh?
0: Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. How's your week been going?
1: Not going to lie, been pretty busy with work stuff. Can't really talk about that too much, but... Uh,
0: That's fair.
1: I've... I've started playing a lot of Super Smash Bros. Melee recently. Nice. I'm not sure. Like, I think I just got worse at the game. Right. Because, like, I I keep whiffing on, like, any of the aerial combos. I've forgotten how to wave dash and all, all, like, the dumb tech stuff I used to do. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, even, like, like, medium is pretty easy. Hard's, like, this is legitimately difficult and annoying. So it's, like, I think I'm just getting old. The game is still legitimately fun. But it's just also, like, I am old and I am bad at this.
0: Yeah. We all get old. We can't hack it anymore and that's it. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like as the years have gone by, you know, because back in the day, the PS2 greatly outsold the GameCube. And yet I feel like the GameCube has more love towards it than the PS2 does. Well, I think it's... Am I I wrong for saying this? I I feel like that's kind of the way it is.
1: I think so. Well, it's hard because, like, the PlayStation 2 is still one of the best-selling consoles of all time, right? Yeah. But I think a lot of people missed on the GameCube. And I remember at the time having the GameCube was seen as having, like, the kitty console. The dumb lunchbox with purple coloring. Like, th- that's how it was described at the time. So people just intentionally missed it and didn't realize that there was a, a lot of really good games on the GameCube. The GameCube itself was, I think, the most... Like, between the GameCube or the Xbox were the two more powerful consoles. I want to say the Xbox. The Xbox and then the GameCube and then, like, the PS2 was actually surprisingly weak.
0: Yeah, I, I think because at the time, Sony really... They didn't sell it as a game
1: console. They sold it as a DVD as a player. DVD player. And, uh, and then people came back to the GameCube and just realized that there was a wealth... Of games on the GameCube, and I think the ratio of good games to everything else is so much higher on the GameCube than it was on the PlayStation Two because the PlayStation Two got a lot of shovelware. Mm -hmm. So, but there's a lot of legitimately great games that were exclusive to the PS Two as well. Like you have your Kingdom Hearts, you have your Final Fantasy
0: X. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto was originally PS Two exclusive. Mm Hmm. Yeah, but well, obviously before the Xbox, before the
1: Xbox, yeah. So it's like, but there's also just a lot of very, very good games that were just GameCube exclusive.
0: Yeah, what about Internal Darkness?
1: Internal Dark. that's a deep cut. Bait and Kitos is a deep cut. Like, just legitimately one of the most in-depth RPGs I've played. The definitive edition for uh, Skies of Arcadia on the GameCube was also really good. I could just go on talking about, like, fantastic GameCube games that weren't even Nintendo first pro- first party. Yeah, like even
0: it, the, Well, even the Nintendo's first party games were great. I mean, like you said, Super Smash Bros. Melee came out on it. Mario Sunshine. Uh, Mario Sunshine is a game that I know that people were kind of mixed on back in the day.
1: I think it's getting more love now. Mario Sunshine. That is a game that gets benefit of, I haven't played that game in 10 years. Because The first half of Mario Sunshine is very fun. Flood works very well. And then you get to the first mission where Flood is taken away from you and you have to do very intricate 3D platforming and you remember why you didn't play Mario Sunshine. Because those levels are very oddly difficult and very annoying. And the whole time in the background is an acapella rendition of the World 1-1 theme. That's basically just, like, making this level seem kind of silly while it's kicking your ass. Like, the game is gets legitimately difficult.
0: Do you think maybe that's why they simplified it more when they went on to Mario Galaxy?
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah,
0: I like Mario Galaxy. I thought it was a great game. I haven't
1: oh, played Mario... it so long, though. Oh, I think the last time I pulled it out was uh, I got Chelsea to play it in 2017, I think. But, yeah, it's been a while. And Galaxy Two, I've never played it, but I've heard it actually just takes the fundamentals from Galaxy and really pushes them. It does, but yeah. Like the GameCube is definitely that console that just—I think people realized that they slept on it for kind of dumb, homophobic reasons.
0: Yeah, which is why they went with the more of the sleek black look.
1: Yeah, and I, you could tell that Nintendo real was trying to countermarket that too when the when they did their first restock of the GameCubes with the GameCube Model 101s, they were platinum colored and not purple.
0: Now, speaking of the GameCube, I got to ask, what do you think of the controller?
1: It's, It's weird, but it's also surprisingly ergonomic.
0: It's very comfortable. I found, even though I never owned a GameCube, I always found the GameCube controller to be very comfortable in your hands over the PS2 controllers, which were so small. Uh,
1: Like, they're small, and it's two sticks low. You'll notice that, like, Xbox... Like, the Xbox controller and the GameCube controller, they're nice to hold. One stick high, one stick low works really nicely. Yep. And I just... I never liked the PlayStation controller.
0: Yeah, I think it's a controller that has not aged well. And I get where they came from it. Like it was a SNES controller. Then you put the two little feet on it. But but then again, these are the same people who hated on the N64 controller. And I've never figured, never know why. I found that to be a comfortable controller, depending on what you're playing.
1: I found that the 3D games were kind of cramped and the weird shape of the controller. And I remember I've written about this, about Ocarina of Time in particular. Ocarina, you know how Ocarina of Time has those really annoying controls where if you're moving, A does one thing. If you're stationary, A does another thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to run to throw things. Yep. That is a consequence of the N64's controller shape. Because if you've ever played the Wind Waker on GameCube, A and R handle the double function of A in the N64 version. Where Z targeting is then moved to the left trigger and camera stuff is moved to another button. So it's like, sorry, and then shielding is kept on R. So you get a much better control just because you have the extra bumper button instead of having to sacrifice it to an unhanded prom. So like the N64's controller is very odd and it, con- it enforces trade-offs that had it had a bit more traditional of a design they could have avoided. It. And I get, I get what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And I think Nintendo was pretty, the idea was like, some games prefer the D pad. Some like 2d games are going to prefer the D pad. 3d games are going to prefer the control stick. Let's give both of them a comfortable prong. Like I get that.
0: Yeah. It I just, like there were certain games that worked better with the D pad <laughs> and the thumbstick. Mm-hmm. Although if I'm being honest, I think it's complete bullshit that Turok used the C buttons. I'm not going to lie. We understood that.
1: We don't question when a claim does things. And we just appreciate that a company that I believe owned LJN makes bad decisions that end with them bankrupt. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can believe I can buy that.
1: Yeah. Like there's a reason they're no longer with us
0: this is true tim this is true now a segment that we didn't think was going to be with us anymore but we've decided to bring it back for our seventh season first episode it's the segment we call discussion point no for, now for those who don't under, who aren't understandable or don't know what discussion point is or even that very long-winded segue that i'm trying to do that's okay Discussion point is a segment where Tim and I, we look at something we see to see online or we see a point they brought up during the TSN broadcast. And we'd like to talk about it. So for talking about this one, coming into the season, the big question is Shane Pinto and Shane Pinto not being signed. We don't have the cap space. If you're the Ottawa centers, who do you move in order to fit Pinto?
1: Watching the first three games and uh, watching training camp. Dominic Kubelik, he's been invisible. While Matthew Joseph and Tarasenko and Brandstrom have all played exceedingly well.
0: Yeah, no, I think you and I are in the same boat. I think Dominic Kubelik would be the guy. Honestly, I kind of see where people would say Matthew Joseph. But for me, like you said, the the first three games of the season, I thought, well, God, I mean, that first game against Carolina, I thought he played exceptionally well. And I thought he's been very, very good through the first three games of the season. Same with Tarasenko. I don't understand. Uh, who are we kidding? It's just Sean Simpson. I don't understand his logic of like we should waive or trade Tarasenko.
1: Hey, he like, admittedly, and we'll get to this in the Carolina game. Tarasenko looked gassed.
0: Yeah, but he looked much better.
1: He looked. He's looked much better in these next in the other two games. We'll talk about. But it's like that one game, like Tarasenko looked awful.
0: He did. But you know what? We can't judge a guy's tenure off one game, though. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been very happy Been happy with Tarasenko. I have been very happy with Matthew Joseph. Yeah, I kind of agreed. Donnie Kubelik would be the guy for me.
1: Yeah, and he's probably the easiest to trade. He has a shorter, cheaper contract. He's UFA at the end of the season. And you probably won't have to put as big of a sweetener on. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the sounds of it, I don't, I don't think Pierre Dorian has any interest in trading Branstrom. It doesn't set from uh, the way that Bruce Garriock's been talking. It doesn't sound like he has any interest from, of trading Branstrom, especially because no one in Belleville is really <laughs> ready to make that jump to full time NHLer and carry around Travis Hamanick.
0: So here's a good point that I actually saw about Matthew Joseph. Do you think the fact is, and I heard Philadelphia was a team rumored, that they want either a top prospect or a first to take Matthew Joseph off Ottawa's hands? Do you think that kind of scares off Dorian?
1: I think so, and rightfully so. Like, to get rid of a contract like that, you're going to have to pay up. And admittedly, if Joseph is serviceable or more, that's an unforced error. You can probably get rid of Kubelik for cheaper.
0: Yeah, and honestly, with Dominic Kubelik, do you get the sense that he's just very much kind of a second fiddle guy at this point? Because think of it, throughout the summer, he didn't get an intro. We heard nothing about him. He just kind of quietly came into the training
1: camp. Yeah, basically. I'm actually surprised he made it. To be quite frank. And then i you trade away kubyle you can immediately slot in pinto for his 2 2.5 million
0: well that was the next point i want to bring up <clears throat> for for pinto's next contract because apparently the cap is supposed to rise next year and i believe if you want to look this up i think there's what 5 or 6 million bucks coming off the excess cap for dead money yep yeah okay
1: so it- yeah matt murray's 1.5 million is coming off bobby Ryan's 1.8 million is coming off and Delzato's Del coming off, and we go into the negative money year of Colin White's buyout.
0: Yeah, so honestly, it comes to a point, like if if they had to move one of the smaller guys, or, or lesser known guys, I should say, not smaller guys, to fit him in for, say, a minimum, say, listen, take a minimum next year, cap's going up, we get all kinds of money, we do the contracts there. Who says no?
1: Um, Hard to say. But if you just move Kubelik, I would just sign Pinto like two, like three years, two and a half million. Yeah. Or like push him to his next RFA. Might as well. Cap's going up anyway. And that gives you a lot of flex. That gives you a ton of flexibility. If you want to say re-sign Tarasenko, re-up Branstrom, or see what other UFA comes along. Because like, closure. The only thing that really comes on that is a lot of new salary is Jake Sanderson's contract.
0: Yeah. And my God, that's going to be a beauty contract.
1: Yeah. So looking into next season, say we just give Pinto Kubelik's money. Mm -hmm. Ottawa will have both 13 million in cap space.
0: Yeah. And the sends are going to be dangerous at that point because now you, like you said, you've got 13 million bucks. You could add to this team.
1: Easy. The only thing, and then like after next season, uh, Shikrin's UFA, you could probably give Shikrin like 6 million. And uh, yeah, you have a lot of room for a a very deep senders team. And it'd be interesting to see just how like how much Ridley Gregg matures and we'll get to that in the games too
0: absolutely absolutely man and you know what we're also going to be doing Tim in in, including talking about some games is segueing into this little segment I like to call top of the hour so Tim this is going to be the first top of the air of Season 7. And let me tell you, it's been a while. It's been eight, six long months since we actually got to do one of these. And we're going to start off talking about the Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I don't know if you got a chance to see the picture of this. They unveiled their 2023 Stanley Cup championship rings. And what's really cool about these rings is there's a secret compartment in the ring itself that has a mini t mobile arena and nine marks on the ice representing the nine goals scored in that company victory.
1: That's wild. Like I forgot that. <laughs> the nine goals. <laughs> That's savage.
0: It is, but you know what? Hats off to the Vegas golden Knights. That's very, very innovative.
1: Well, how did they manage to fit the rink into That must be a, big ring eh
0: it is like
1: here's a good question
0: have you ever seen shaquille and neil hall of fame ring no the thing, okay so basically as you can see my knuckle right there uh uh-huh. that
1: it's two knuckles wide
0: yeah because he's a big man i would imagine so, it has to be pretty big
1: last year's playoffs they feel so far away now eh
0: They really do, man. And it's hard to believe because it wasn't that long ago because we were sitting in the living room watching these games and thinking, oh, this is a good game.
1: Yeah. Well, what's that playoff? I don't, I wonder if people are going to look back at that one being like, that was the Cinderella run that got slaughtered. Just not as aggressively as, Montreal getting basically swept,
0: yeah, yeah, but there still were some pretty good stories out of that, though. The man, yeah, and the Seattle Kraken winning their first playoff
1: series. There was that, uh, the story of Aiden Hill was really cool. Like, Vegas's run was very fun, Toronto winning their playoff series against the AHL caliber defense of the Tampa Bay Lightning, only to get just stomped by Florida,
0: yeah, and then they essentially got swept.
1: Like, wild, absolutely wild stuff. After they swept the Hurricanes. <laughs> yep. So there's a lot of fun stories to that. But I wonder if this will be one that people look back on at all. It'll be
0: interesting. I don't know, because there are certain, well, especially in the last couple of years, right? Because, again, we came off the COVID playoff year, and then the 2021 year. 2022, I couldn't tell you much about that off the top of my head then last year unless you were distinctively looking for something to say about that playoff series i would kind of agree with you on that
1: i think the only thing that's notable is the leafs
0: uh, i would say
1: florida florida yeah florida and the leafs yeah like they broke the curse in the in like the most monkeys paw way possible but <laughs>
0: <laughs> you no, know, and that's saying a lot when a second-year Kraken team straight up beats Colorado. Like it wasn't any like BS stuff going on. Like they straight up beat them.
1: Yeah, like and they beat them clean. They played beat them clean, and it was a really fun series to watch too. Like I remember, I was watching it with my at my parents' place uh, before Chelsea and I got married, and we we're just like, this team good.
0: I know it's crazy, man. I mean, the Kraken, they're they're good. And they're built differently than Vegas. And I think that's mm-hmm. what they're maybe more compelling to me.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now, a team you did mention there a second ago, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, we got to give a shout out to Toronto Police for it. Austin Matthews, who recorded his 300th career goal during the team's season opener versus the Montreal Canadiens. And I got to say, I don't know, because he also scored a hat trick in this game. I don't know if you saw the clip that was circulating around twitter or x or whatever the hell you want to call it not a single hack of thrown on the ice really no because there was a i, I can't recall the person but he was doing like the, the panoramic shot of the lower bowl and there was all rich guys with no hats on
1: oh that's
0: sad i know but matthew scoring 300 goals that's very impressive i mean even when we talked with adam selvig On our season preview show, I think that was the one question I really wanted to bring up was if when it's all signed up, is he the greatest? You could argue he's the greatest leaf of all time.
1: I think he might already be.
0: And that's saying a lot, especially when you. And I can't
1: believe you passed on him in fantasy again. I know.
0: (laughs) Didn't somebody take him?
1: I did. Yeah. I mean, and I
0: got. I can't remember remember who I took in the first round.
1: You took uh, Dreisaitl.
0: Okay, well, that's fair. That's Leon Dreisaitl.
1: over Matthews.
0: Hey, it's worked in the past. But anyway, but talking about Matthews, I mean, that's a big statement to say, especially when you look at some of the Leaf legends they've had in the past, like the Matt Sundeans, like the Wendell Clarks, go down the list, Daryl Sittlers, Austin Matthews, and he's been... you got to give him credit for two things. you got to give him credit because he's been very smart in the way he's negotiated his contracts. And the fact is, he's stuck around in a team where you make one mistake, the entire city goes after you.
1: And he sticks up for Ryan Reeves for some reason. Have you heard about this? Sorry, the shit stirring that Micah did the other day? No. Uh, So he basically points out that, yeah, Ryan Reeves sucks, and I don't know why they signed him, and uh, basically every boomer crawled out of the work to protect the guy.
0: First of all, Mark Bethought does not count as a boomer, dim.
1: Okay, but he has some boomer tier takes. Yeah, he does. But it's like, this impacted, this resonated with me. Okay. Because Ryan Reeves, do you remember group projects? Yep. Do you remember how there was always one person on the group project who was a nice guy, but did absolutely zero fucking work and got the same mark as you. Come on, Tay, you did work.
0: Not really, if I'm being honest. Not as much as the rest of the guys did.
1: (laughs) I tried. You tried. But it's like, and it just gets worse in university. And I was the guy who, I usually either managed the group or was lead contributor. So it was always just like, Just dragging everyone else along.
0: That's the least surprising thing I've ever learned about you, Tim.
1: So, personally, I must stand up and say, no, screw Ryan Reeves. Why should he get the same marks as Austin Matthews? Screw him. Let someone else play. I don't care if he takes everyone else to the same restaurant.
0: Well, think about didn't Ryan Reeves in that first game, he got dummied by...
1: Arbor Jackeye? Yeah, Arbor Jackey. Yeah, so he didn't even do what he was there for.
0: I don't know. Like, I get it. He's probably a, a really good guy in the room. He's probably a good moral support for these young players. But hockey fans, especially the ones that follow the analytics side of hockey, do not care about that.
1: No. And rightly so. Yeah. Because here's the thing. You could probably find a guy who is good in the room and is a good player. Like, there isn't this this dichotomy of, oh, he's a good character guy, so we should give this shitty guy guy a spot on the team. No! Find a character guy who's also good at hockey.
0: Yeah, like Brady Chuck.
1: Or Claude Giroux.
0: Yeah, or Tim Stutzla.
1: And I guess to name not Ottawa Senators, like, I almost said Gabranston Calgary.
0: <laughs> well, no, he's in Columbus now.
1: Yeah. Gabranston Calgary was weird, though. But, like, Mark Giordano. Yeah. See? I said something nice about the Leafs.
0: That's true. And, you know, I could have absolutely railroaded the Leafs when they won that playoff series. But, like, wow, you won a playoff series. One. Singular. You have one one less playoff series than the Coyotes.
1: So it's like, and I don't know. Ottawa has to start winning some series here before we can really start going in on the Leafs.
0: This is true. This is true. But, you know, hey, knock on wood, this might be the year, Tim. Just win one playoff series at this point. That's all we need.
1: Yeah, all we need.
0: Now, this is actually a really cool story that came up, and I actually felt I needed to bring this in. So the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I didn't really think about this, Tim, but they broke the New York Yankees record for the longest tenure of three teammates
1: at 18 seasons. That's wild. And now they have Carlson. Yeah. Like, there are kids who have gone through the entire education system Wow, those while Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang have played together. Think about that.
0: That is wild.
1: There are children who were born in twenty. Sorry, children born in two thousand and six can drive and can vote.
0: No, sorry, two
1: thousand five, two thousand five.
0: Yeah, I was gonna. Two thousand six would be next year.
1: Yeah, next year they're getting there. That's they w- are, they are, and they've grown their entire lives. The Pittsburgh Penguins have been Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang.
0: Yeah, it's insane, especially when you see some of the players that also came through that organization.
1: Well, I almost said Pascal Dupuis, Rob Skidbury, marc Andre Fleury, Sergei Gonchar, Ryan Whitney. Ryan Whitney, aforementioned Ryan Reeves <clears throat> Yeah. For a first round pick.
0: <laughs> oh, Ron Hextall. He,
1: he was a really bad GM.
0: Oh, God, he was the worst. Now, actually, sorry, Tim, I actually want to include one story here that Katrina found that I didn't include top of the air, so I apologize for that. So, the Seattle Kraken, so they made NHL history the other day. So therefore, Jared McCann is the third player in NHL history and the first in over 100 years to record a goal in each of the franchise's first three season opening games.
1: That's so weird.
0: Now, here's the other two, okay? And let me tell you, if you ever want to go back and read some great hockey names, go back to the 1910s and 1920s. There's some beauty names. Like this guy, Nuzi Lalonde. He did it for the Montreal Canadiens in 1917-18 to 1919-1920. Oh, wow. And there was George Carey who did it for the Hamilton Tigers slash Quebec Bulldogs in the 1919-20, 1921-22
1: season. That is, uh, that's really something. I forgot that Hamilton had a team. The NHA was just a weird time, I guess.
0: I was actually telling my supervisor about this a couple of weeks ago because he's a big footy fan being coming from England. I said, if you ever want to look at a crazy tenure of hockey, look at before the NHL formed, the league that came before it, because they were not professionals. They were tradesmen. They were electricians. They were dentists. They were plumbers. They were pit pit fighters. Pipe fitters. They were those kind of people.
1: But what's kind of incredible about that team too was just the NHL formed because the other owners didn't like the owners of the Toronto arenas and they found a different Toronto team to fill it in. And that's why the St. Pats are the through line to the Toronto Maple Leafs. You
0: know what's funny? And I apologize if, It wasn't true, but I think in that CBC doc, Hockey People's History, I think they did talk about this too. (laughs) Which is also almost 20 years old now. It came out in 2006.
1: Guess they'll have to do another one.
0: That's something they should have updated a couple of times over, especially in the last several years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it should.
0: Yeah. So, Tim, we're going to close that top of the air to talk about some signings. We're going to start off talking about the New Jersey Devils have re-signed head coach Lindy Ruff to a multi-year extension. This is kind of surprising because I know at some point last year, Devil fans wanted him fired. And then he got good and they were like, we're sorry, Lindy.
1: That's the we're sorry, Lindy chant might have been the funniest thing that I have ever heard in pro sports.
0: I know, especially from a crowd from New Jersey, of all places.
1: I didn't know they knew what an apology was.
0: I was going to say, what state do you think is a lot more harsh when it comes to their sports? Massachusetts, New England, or New Jersey?
1: New Jersey? Do they care about their teams? Because, like, the Nets moved to Brooklyn just after just being absolute ass for multiple years. They just years. got the Devils.
0: That's all they have.
1: They have the Devils, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's not true. I mean, the Giants and the Jets both play in Jersey, but they're like a New York team.
1: Well, where are you going to fit a football stadium in Manhattan? Or Queens? Yeah. Or Brooklyn?
0: I know. But I mean, that's where... I mean, in fairness, they found a place to put new Yankee Stadium.
1: Wasn't it across the street from old Yankee Stadium in Queens?
0: Yeah, I don't know where you would put a football stadium in this in New York, unless you, no, I guess you wouldn't put it out in like Long Island or some place like that. Upstate
1: New York would probably be further than New Jersey.
0: I would say that. Yeah.
1: Sorry, not upstate. Uh, going up Long Island is probably further than New Jersey, and somehow I don't think uh the people in the Hamptons really want to see football fans. No. So that's just not going to happen.
0: No. Now we're talking about the signing, but what do you think about the Devils re-signing Lindy Ruff?
1: I mean, he's worked for them. Might as, don't fix what ain't broke.
0: Yeah, and, but talking about something that got fixed due to it being broken, the Winnipeg Jets have re-signed Connor Halibach and Mark Scheifele to matching seven-year, $59.5 million contracts with AAB of 8.5. This surprised me. And I was talking with Adam on our podcast, three ghosts, no four ghosts, because he's a big jets fan. And he and I were talking about this a little bit. And I says, I'm very surprised. I got two thoughts on this. I'm very surprised they did it because it seemed almost inevitable. Like Hallebach was gone. Yeah. He openly stated, he doesn't want to play in Canada. He doesn't want to play for a Canadian team. He's looking for a trade. Trade doesn't happen. Shifley wasn't as open about it, but you can definitely tell he was not happy by doing this signing, I get it from the Jets' point of view, is you want to lock up your franchise players long-term. You want to maintain that goodwill with a fan base. I think this ultimately is going to put them as the Minnesota Wild of Canada, where now you have two big guys, and now you have to try and surround them with everybody.
1: Yeah, and that's going to be tough. Because, like, but it's not as bad as those ridiculous contracts that they gave to Suter and Perise. But I think the really big thing is just, I think a lot of people were expecting Winnipeg to either retool and rebuild and just try to get what they could for Shifley and Hellebuck. And they didn't. But what's weird is, I think Winnipeg got enough of a haul for... Pierre-Luc Dubois that maybe they don't have to
0: yeah but even talking to Adam about this when I think of this signing I, I try to think about both sides was it the Jets couldn't get the offers they wanted for these players or did the players ultimately change their mind
1: that's tough
0: yeah and it really
1: could be either right
0: yeah, because I mean, think of it Connor Hellebuck, you're a top five goalie in the NHL. Imagine the haul you would have gotten for him, especially if, by hell, we just talked about it, if New Jersey went after him, because that's all that the Devils need. They just need a goaltender. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And well, I want, you have to imagine that they at least kick the can, right?
0: Yeah, but we said that, but then again, you could say this thing about John Gibson and Anaheim, too. Yeah. I gotta say, though, those signings in Anaheim, good on them. When you get Zegers and Drysdale. That's true. Those signings, yeah, not bad.
1: Anaheim's been weird, though, because they've let a lot of, like, fairly skilled players like Sonny Milano slip through their fingers. Mm-hmm. But uh, Zegers for 5.7? Yeah, you take it.
0: Yeah, which is funny because he could have commanded a lot more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like these next two players, Tim. Rasmus Dolan and Owen Power, the Buffalo Sabres, re-signed both. I think we should start by talking about Rasmus Dolan. Eight years, $88 million, AAV, 11.
1: It's the Carlson contract. I think this one should work out better. Just because... Dalian is younger and does not have the history of losing half his foot.
0: Yeah, but I also think that was kind of a high-risk, high-reward one, too, given how Dahlian played the last couple of years. But he definitely had a big bounce back last season.
1: Yeah, and his last season was, frankly, incredible. And if he continues to do that age 24, that contract pays for itself.
0: Exactly. Same with this one with Owen Power, seven years, fifty-eight point four five million dollar contract, AAV eight point three five. That's the Sanderson deal, right there. Yeah, he. We, they looked at us and be like, "Oh, you signed Jake Sanderson for that? Okay, we could do the same thing."
1: Yeah, like hold my beer. Yeah. I think Sanderson is the better of the two. Just watching the way that their careers have arced, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, we'll see what we get out of Owen Power this year, but I think Sanderson's the better player.
0: I think right now, I totally agree with you, but Owen Power, he still has has yet to really make big steps in the NHL.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's the same with Sanderson, right? He still hasn't yep. done it too, so.
1: So, like, I don't know. I think uh, Jake Sanderson just doesn't get the respect he deserves because he's not Canadian at this point. Because remember, they're the same age. Yeah.
0: That makes me feel very old, Tim. (laughs) So we're going to close up top of the hour and talking about the Colorado Avalanche re signing defenseman Devontae. So a seven year, $50.75 million contract in the AAV, 7.25.
1: Here's the thing about the Avs. Do you think? That Landis Cog ever plays again.
0: Don't know. But then again, about a year ago, we were kind of saying the same thing about Mark Stone.
1: That's true. Because this is but this is the second straight season he's gone. Yeah. Stone at least played. Yep. Yeah. And giving Devin Taves 7.25 million. Even with the cap going up, it's not going up that much.
0: No. No, so they must be thinking that Lannis Scott's not coming back. Yeah. Which is a shame. I mean, when you see a player like that go down in his prime, I I can't say it was a what if, though, because he has a cup.
1: Yeah, he has a cup, and he he was part of that dominant core of Colorado for years. No. But Devin Taves, that's a good contract for, I don't want to say an understated player, but he definitely gets overlooked on that Colorado defense.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, Tim. So Tim, that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can be only one thing. It's finally time to start talking about some games. Now, of course... We do have two games on the schedule, but we're going to give you three games, because we're also going to talk about the game last night versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. So the games we're going to talk about this week, the Sens versus the Hurricanes, the home opener between the Flyers and the Senators, and the Lightning versus the Senators. Now, Tim, this would be the time of the episode where I would like, but before we do that, let's hit the music. I think for this episode, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the Lauer years. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Senators versus the Hurricanes. This is a 5-3 Hurricanes victory. Sens goals are scored by Matthew Joseph, Parker Kelly, and Tim Stutzla. Hurricane goals are scored by Michael Bunting, Thiebaud Taravainen, Jordan Stahl, Bray Shea, and Jacob Slavin. shots for 42-30 for Carolina. I gotta say, Tim, you know, this is one of these games that, when you watch it, my first thought is, oh, it's the same old sense. Mm-hmm. Had a strong first period, fell to shit in the second, and then they're trying to fight in the third period to come back.
1: It was a really weird game, too, because, like, that, fir- that first period was masterful they gave Carolina nothing and Freddie Anderson really held Carolina in like Mm -hmm. hats off to like Freddie Anderson played a very good game and then the Sens come out raring to go in the second period then Michael Bunting gets one the other hard thing about this game and you could definitely tell by midway through the third period the Sens were playing a man down
0: yeah, it's very true. And when talking about these games, I mean, there was a lot of first in this game. Tarasenko's first game, Corpusel's first game. So let's talk about a few of them. Now, Vladimir Tarasenko, I, I gotta say that first game, not much of an impression.
1: No, he was definitely one of Ottawa's weaker forwards. Although admittedly, the Stutzla line wasn't, after the first period, wasn't exactly on their best.
0: No, although hats off to Kelly and Stutzla for tying the game to three after the Hurricanes went up
1: 3-1. One thing I've been surprised about, and we'll come back to this in the next two games as well, is Ottawa's depth looks far more engaged than it did last year. Mm-hmm. Where Ottawa got absolutely nothing from its bottom its bottom six, let's be real. We got goals from Parker Kelly, Goals, we got a goal from Matthew Joseph, goal from Parker Kelly, and they actually did a pretty good job in the depth game.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now talk about another guy who played his first game, Jonas Carpasalo, and, you know, I know a lot of people on social media were giving him heck for a couple of those goals. I will agree with you that fourth goal was, was weak. I'll give you that one. But overall, I didn't
1: think he played all that bad you would expect Carolina to score three to four goals in that sort of game. Not too bad. I don't, like, that's the thing, is I think Carolina beat Ottawa pretty clean. Yeah. And Especially course- as... It really tailed off at the end of the third there. Yeah, I mean, for
0: this game, I'm really giving the sense of mulligan just because you're going up against a top five team in the NHL and you're missing two of your top centers.
1: And you're playing with 11 forwards yes. and six defensemen, like... This is a game where I think it's fair to give the team a mulligan. But to their credit, they played Carolina very hard for the first and the second. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of slipped away from them.
0: Yeah, and one guy that I'm surprised you haven't brought up yet was Drake Batherson. I thought he looked really good in this game. He hit a couple of posts. I honestly thought he was going to score in this one.
1: Yeah. I've... He... The big thing that I've noticed about him is he's back into the dirty areas. He's really fighting. And yeah, I'm surprised that a goal didn't come his way. He got robbed by Freddie Anderson. And as you said, he hit the iron.
0: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then talking about Parker Kelly, I really do like him and Matthew Joseph
1: together. The only one of Ottawa's depth fours I haven't really been super happy with is Mark Kastrulik.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that. It seems to the point where Ridley Gregg has outplayed him.
1: Oh, easily. No, it's not even seems he has. Ridley Gregg was, uh, he was a little quiet in this game, but he was pretty close to 50-50 in terms of his impact on the ice. But Kastelik was a big negative. And uh, Parker Kelly was definitely a lot more effective once he got away from Kastelik and yeah, him and Joseph were him, Joseph and Chartier were Ottawa's better, Ottawa's better possession forwards. And I've actually, we'll talk about this in the other two games as well, but I've actually, I think Zach McEwen is an upgrade on Austin Watson. Maybe you replace Kastelik with Roby Arvente and you have an effective fourth line.
0: I think it's more of a matter is that we don't have the casteries to bring them up now.
1: Oh, we'll work on that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Now two final moments, or not two, foremost, sorry. Uh, two final thoughts I want to make on this game before we head off to the second game. The, the Jasper fast penalty shot in the first period. I do not know why that was even a penalty shot.
1: He hooked him.
0: Yeah. But it's one of those things where I'm watching it and I'm like, even watching it, even at the first time, like, yeah, maybe it's a little hook. But, I mean, I don't get it myself.
1: I mean, Shabbat shouldn't have lost him, right?
0: But, thankfully, he didn't score on that. It's kind of nice to have a goalie that when we see stuff like this, we're not thinking, well, that puck's going in.
1: Yeah, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. And the final quote or moment I want to talk about here is it came from Sen's Twitter. Now, of course, when the Sens go on the road, they always take photographs of fans that come to the arena. I don't know if you noticed this, but our good friends, Pan and Canuck from the Sens call-ups throughout the game.
1: Oh, that's lovely.
0: It was lovely. And they got their picture taken. And I find it hilarious when you look at the picture, just the overall size difference between Pan and Canuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I did not realize that Canuck was as tall as he is. But then again, I don't I don't know if it's like because he's very tall or Pan's short
1: i've never met these people in person so i couldn't dan? tell you
0: i've, like, I've never met them either it's kind of like when i met jay and dan from the like, tsn years ago i tell people this it's not that dan is short because dan is only maybe five nine five ten it's because jay is six foot six <laughs> and it's funny if you've ever seen the picture of me with jay jay's like this tall, Up there, yeah this tall it's just like oh okay so let's move on and talk about the Senators' the Senators home opener for 2023-2024 between the Flyers and the Senators. This is a 5-2 Senators victory. Flyers goes scored by Travis Konecki and Cam York. Senators goes scored by Jacob Chikram with two, Brady Tkachuk with two, and Jake Sanderson. Shots were 31-21 for the Senators. Okay, so let's talk about the pregame. So this is really cool. So starting it off... Claude Giroux gets honored for 1,000 points. I love the fact that his son's also got mini sticks.
1: Oh, that's fun. And Vladimir Tarasenko suggested that the sons have, in the building somewhere, a little place for kids to kind of shoot and play. Mm-hmm. Do you think they just ran out there immediately? Yes.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. Now, you know how at like, the segue into the games, I said, welcome to the Hour years. Let's talk about our new owner, Michael Adlauer, drops the first puck for this game. And not only does he do it back, but he brings back not one, not two, but all of our former owners, including Bruce Firestone, friend of the show, the Mel Daughters, and Rod Bryden. That surprised me. Number one. How did they find him? I did not know Rod Bryden was still alive. But also... I guess Rod Bryden is still still active in the Ottawa area, I guess, from what I understand. Because I, I did a Google search on him.
1: What? That's surprising. Because like I thought it's, like he went bankrupt and then didn't really do much after that.
0: Well, I would imagine that Melnick buying the team probably got him out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was cool to see Bruce Firestone back. Obviously, Rod Bryden, the Melnick Daughters. The big vibe of them all, the one that we did not see coming, the return of Lyndon Slewage doing the national anthem.
1: So good.
0: Man, he does not look like he's aged. He's looking all right. And we like him. We like him. And it was so good. So good. The vibes were there. And we'll talk a little bit about the attendance because, oh my God, so but let's talk about some players. Starting off with Jacob Chikrin, two goals, one assist for three points on three shots. Yeah, I'm gonna said He was Ottawa's best defenseman in this game.
1: The Shabbat Chikrin pairing was very good. They hemmed Philadelphia into their end for pretty much most of the game until Ottawa realized that Philadelphia was done and just took the foot off the gas. Yeah. Just a very. Very dominant performance by that pairing.
0: And very much a dominant performance from everybody on this team, including Brady Duchuk, Chuck, who passed Eric Carlson for ninth on the team's all-time goal list with 127. He had two goals and four assists or two goals, four shots in this game.
1: Yeah. And he looked good doing it, including two quick goals that just really put Philly away at the end there.
0: Yeah. Now two now two guys who had two assists in this game, Claude Giroux and Vladimir Tarasenko.
1: Tarasenko, his that second assist was nifty, eh? Oh yeah. And it's funny because like a lot of the worry about Tarasenko's being this one-dimensional shooter type of player, and what we're seeing at least early on is that Tarasenko's positioning has been very good. He's been, what, this game especially, he was he was fighting for his pucks, and he threw a really good reverse hit in there as well. Mm-hmm. And the passing is sublime. And there's a play I want to talk about next game that was just incredible from Tarasenko.
0: I know exactly which play you're going to talk about, because I also have that in my notes. Now, Tim Stutes is another guy I want to talk about. Now, he did have an assist and three shots this game, but... I've really noticed he got a little extra attention from the Flyers, and he absolutely got no calls from the ref.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, there was
0: was at least two calls in that game where you're watching it, you're like, "What the? No, he that's a legit penalty, and he's not getting it
1: called." Yep, Uh, he got hit in the face with a stick and nothing, and that's usually an auto penalty. And what's frustrating is, for whatever reason. We've decided that Brendan Gallagher calling Stutzla a diver is somehow a reasonable thing to characterize a player. When Gallagher is the biggest fucking diver in the league.
0: Yeah, when Gallagher played on a team that had P.K. Subban, who was known to embellish hits.
1: Yeah, so it's frustrating because... Unfortunately, the play other players are going to continue to take advantage, and Ottawa's always going to get the retaliator. The only thing that I can really imagine where this ends is either Stutzla gets injured, yeah, or an Ottawa sender takes such a big liberty after the whistle that the player that took the liberty on Stutzla is carted out and a suspension gets handed out. Letting players take liberties like this always, always, always leads to someone getting hurt. and But unfortunately, this is just the way the NHL refs.
0: Yeah, and I got to say, the roughing in this game was not good.
1: Well, it's like, you could definitely tell that the refs realized if they gave Ottawa a penalty, that was becoming a goal. Mm -hmm. That's how ineffective Philadelphia's power, sorry, penalty kill is. So the refs just didn't.
0: Now, the one final note I want to make on this game, Tim, is the attendance. Saturday afternoon game, 1 o'clock in Ottawa. I love that guys on social media were tweeting out, you know, the percentage of the fans that were in the building. Now, you see the obvious ones at 100, like the Vegas Golden Knights and the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Ottawa Senators outdrew all of them. 20,011.
1: They were over capacity. Like, yeah, it was standing room only.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, you've been to the CTC a number of times, like does do the building doesn't even do standing room, do they?
1: Not really. There are places you can do it. Uh, The CTC is also big for a hockey arena. Is it? Yeah, 20,000. Sorry, at 19,000 is one of the bigger Canadian arenas.
0: I was going to say it's not even 19. It's like 18.5 or something.
1: You can expend it to 19 when the. Yes. Like I've been there. It's surprisingly big.
0: Yeah. Like I'm not questioning it. I'm just saying, I'm just going off of the capacity. saying...
1: Yeah. Like it. That's one of the things that makes it when that arena is not full, it's noticeable.
0: Yeah, and it was really noticeable over the last couple of years with, you know, the seats being tarped off, empty seats everywhere, and it's just sad to see. And then, of course, we now have a new owner, the home opener, and we exceed everybody.
1: Apparently, I have been, I was at the game with record attendance at the CTC. Really? Yeah, the Alfreds had retired, but they opened up some standing room. 20,511.
0: That's amazing. That is truly amazing, Tim. But also what's really amazing is I've been a hockey fan my entire life. And I know you've been a hockey fan for a long time. Have you ever seen a fan base after a game form a line up the stairs to shake the owner's hand?
1: No. I don't think I've ever seen that.
0: No, like this squat this should squash any and all talk of Ottawa being a bad hockey market. Well, look at the attendance number one for a Saturday afternoon game. Yep. But you have an owner who is single-handedly and he's not even owned the team a month. He's undone everything Eugene did. Which he is kind of why old legends He brought in a president of hockey operations. He brought in money. He brought in all this stuff. So, yeah, the vibes are immaculate and the vibes are good.
1: Yeah, and we didn't even mention that Cyril leader is back as well.
0: Yeah, and Daniel Offertson's back now.
1: Like, just incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, even talking about our whole, the the, the intro, when you talk about the fact that they brought Bruce Firestone and Rod Brighton back.
1: Yeah, that's insanity.
0: It is, and it really surprised me because I was watching the game. But look, This is how I actually watched the opening of this game is I went into town because I needed some coffee cream. And I was like, ah, yeah. you know what? I'll just go, give a, go to Starbucks, which I never go to. Go get myself a chai latte. Because I'm a basic white bitch, apparently. <laughs> go get it. So I'm watching it on my phone, and I w- see you know, the Melnick daughters came out and these two older gentlemen, and I went, I see a guy in the red hat. and I was like, Oh, that's funny. That kind of looks like Bruce Firestone. And I hold the phone. I'm like, Oh my God, that is Bruce.
1: <laughs> that is, that is insane.
0: It is insane, man. It is insane. Now, of course, in the next game, we're going to be talking about, we not only brought back some legends. We brought back somebody. You couldn't even imagine. You didn't even think it, these guys are still around. So let's talk about the third game from last night, Lightning versus Senators. This was a 5 to 2 Senators victory. The shots were 37 23 for the Sens. Ottawa straight up outplayed Tampa Bay in this one. It was
1: great. Yeah. The annoying thing is it took a while for Ottawa to put away Tampa. But Ottawa never trailed Tampa. No. This is another game where the, re- the officiating was bad. With Tim Stutzla losing his mind.
0: And rightfully so.
1: After getting pretty nastily cross-checked, Tim Stutzla gives a little touch back and he gets the penalty. Multiple sticks to the face missed. Yeah. And eventually they finally get a call but by then the game was over
0: it was it was now when talking about the intro of course like we're talking about the flyers game where they brought back bruce and rod and those guys the ottawa Senators also brought up some legends chris neal chris phillips and daniel alfredson all did the ceremonial first puck drop in as well, and this one really came as a surprise. You want to talk about a guy who's just trying so hard to make a great impression for the fan base? Michael Anlauer found Frank Finnegan's son.
1: That's wild.
0: Who number one? Because Katrina and I were watching the game last night, and we're just like, excuse Frank? me, Frank Finnegan's son is still alive. Because keep in mind, Frank Finnegan got, passed away in 1991.
1: That's 30 years ago.
0: So his kids, uh, I'm going to take roughly say probably the mid-1920s, late 1920s they were born. Yeah. And the fact is that Frank Finnegan's son, Frank Jr., is still around. And they brought him out. And I was like, wow, Really?
1: Frank Finnegan was playing in, like, the 20s, right? Yep. Well, I guess it's like if his dad lived into the 90s and being born in 1901, those kids have some staying power. They
0: do, but it could have been one of those things where Michael Adler could have gone after his grandsons or great-grandkids or whatever, try to get somebody from that, but he went after Frank's son, who's still around.
1: Because I know uh, his eldest daughter, Joan, passed away. Mm-hmm. But three of Frank's kids are still alive.
0: That really is impressive. Now, what's also impressive was Brady to chuck two goals, one assist for three points on seven shots. I love the flex celebration.
1: It's just, Let's talk Tarasenko.
0: Let's do it. Now, one goal, one assist for two points on four shots. As much of a nice goal as it was, what about really Greg with the veteran move on that one?
1: Yeah, like, how did he sneak that puck through his legs right onto Tarasenko's tape? That was incredible. Yeah. Like, man, I sometimes I wish we were a video podcast just so we could show this. I
0: know, but then again, we would become the. Z- no, that's not, that's not us. Is it the zoo cast? Sends, sends Are t- you really doing this? <laughs> well, you know what, Tim? If I was actually butthurt about it, I wouldn't say anything about that's it.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: It's it's funny. We can laugh about it.
1: But yeah, like, Greg catches the shot from Chikrit, puts it down, passes it. Tarasenko doesn't miss. Beauty goal.
0: It was, oh God, it was stupid to go. And even Teresanko in the post game, it was either in the post game or in the post period interview. Post
1: period interview, yeah.
0: He seems like such a good dude. He seems so happy to be in Ottawa.
1: Yeah, it's like the anti debrinkit
0: Yeah, didn't we, we? We've talked about that, right? We the, have. Yeah, it's still, that's just sours me so much about him when he just, states yeah i i, I meant i didn't give it 100 percent.
1: yeah no that's shitty yeah, but he's, he's getting the, to saturday yeah like the one thing that i've really appreciated about watching the senators too is in this game is all of their goals have come off for checking mm-hmm. like matthew joseph's goal comes from tarasenko stealing throwing it to the front of the net it misses greek hits joseph into the net. Yep. Beauty stuff.
0: It was a beauty, man. It was a beauty. And even Jonas Corpusello with 21 saves, a .913 save percentage, looks solid in this game.
1: The early game was pretty shaky, especially because he just didn't have much to do in the first period. Yeah. But it ended up evening it out.
0: Now, something I'm actually going to try and incorporate here with the game stem. Now, usually over the last several years, you know that I like to find little random tidbits or stuff during watching the game, like if a ref falls down. Because we like it when refs yeah. fall down. It's funny. Oh. I'm putting it under facts. Okay. It's a, you know, tender name. But these are just certain things that happen during the game or stuff that we I feel like we need to bring up. Obviously, the kneeler, big rig, Alfie, celebration coming up for the puck drop. But also, Parker Galley played in this 100th game in this one.
1: I've liked Parker Kelly's game a lot more early this season than we did last season. Yeah. And I think the big difference and I forget who said it, but last season, it was kind of the Austin Watson effect. You skate around real hard and hit the glass. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a bit more intentionality to Parker Kelly's game.
0: There does. And not only did Parker Kelly celebrate a big milestone, but John Cooper, his 800th game coached in the NHL.
1: That's like when your teams are winning, you get to do stuff like that. And Tampa has done a lot of winning lately.
0: They have. They have. I mean, we've, we've covered it.
1: Art, do you want to talk Mark Kastelik? Sure, he talk. only played six minutes this game. That's dangerous. Yeah. Especially for a, a player who hasn't fully established himself yet. Yeah. I'm that's not something
0: sh- that you would do to like just a tweener vet.
1: Well, it makes me wonder is Parker, sorry, is Mark Castlick about to get demoted?
0: You know what, given the way he's played, it wouldn't surprise me.
1: I don't think anyone takes him off waivers
0: no no, because he's not he's not Lassie Thompson come on man.
1: no come on come on and then yeah probably Yuri Schmeichel or uh Robi Arvente I think comes up in his place yeah and then Zach McEwen also only played seven minutes yeah
0: well do you think maybe it's because it's the second of a back-to-back game though
1: maybe but also just the results just weren't really there mm-hmm and if we look at, we go back to the Philadelphia game. I don't remember a lot of Mark Kastelik watching that game either, you know? No. And let's just see what did we get from Mark Kastelik. Yeah, we got seven minutes of Kastelik and McEwen in that game, too. Wow. While Parker Kelly played 12. That's insane, man. And Rourke Chartier played 15.
0: Yeah, I really noticed him in this one, for sure.
1: Yeah, like, Rourke Chartier is surprised. He's been able to just play solid third-player minutes.
0: Yeah, that's all we can ask, right?
1: Yeah, so it's like, honestly, the Chartier-Bathurst-Kubliath line really hasn't done anything for me yet, though, so.
0: Mm -hmm. But I will say the Grieg-Tarasenko-Joseph line. I, I really like that line.
1: If you told me that was going to be a line that the Ottawa Senators deployed, I wouldn't have believed you.
0: I think you would have believed that last time you said is that it's actually gonna be a really good line too.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because uh once either Nor like once Norris is back and Pinto is signed and uh they dispose of oh, sorry, don't they trade away Kubelik. My that would be my ideal. It'd be I think you might even keep that line together and then try, like, Pinto, Bath, or Sin, Norris.
0: A lot of firepower on that line.
1: Yeah, like, see what you got.
0: Yeah, you basically... You recreate the Bath, Brady, Norris line. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you just get the guy in front to deflect a shot. Pretty much. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so I think... You give that a shot and then you just kind of move players around the top of nine as you need them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then all of a sudden, Ottawa's offense looks deep and potent.
0: Man, when was the last time we could really say that about the Sens?
1: The Alfredson years?
0: Yeah. We went from the Alfie years to the Amlauer years.
1: Yeah. Gotta love it.
0: Gotta love it, man. Gotta love it. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. If you want to head off to the close.
1: Yeah, let's do it up.
0: Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on all social media sites at Third Line Plug. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and, well, I guess I'm not on threads yet, but you can find me at Great White Gipster on Twitter and Instagram.
1: I've been trying out that Blue Sky thing, so I actually don't know what my... I think my handle is still m 901 Sky. So okay. uh, check me out there, too.
0: Excellent. Now for the games of the week, Tim. Now, of course, we had last night's game versus the Tampa Lightning, which we did talk about. But Wednesday, we are going to play the Washington Capitals at home. And Saturday, good, Alex Debrinkin go. and the Detroit Wings come into go, let's go.
1: I hope they what? Mash their faces in it.
0: Yeah, I did
1: He's gonna get. No. No, no. And he deserves it. Until next
0: time, guys. I am your host, Gibson.
1: And this has been Tim Dancey.
0: Woo!